This is how it works now When the gates of earth won't let you out This is where you fall down You weren't ready when heaven rained down in a storm cloud Alright, welcome back friends to the Happy Girl Podcast I'm so excited for this guest to come onto the show and share her story with you She is like the share. She is like Beyonce. She only goes by one name, Carling. There we go. How are you doing, Carling? I need you to introduce me in everything in my life. Done. I'll send you an invoice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be like, Ursula, come with me. I need you to introduce me. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Not a problem. I would totally totally do it. I love it. I think it's fun. Yeah. How are you doing? Thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I'm excited to have you here because I was just on your show. Yeah. So now you get to come and flip and be on my show and tell your story. Yay. Because oh, as we were just a, yeah. talking about, it's like we were just talking about, right? Like how how can you make depression exciting? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just say if I'm not laughing, I'm crying. So I might as well laugh at my trauma. <laughs> I've seen that with your posts. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I don't think I do that. Um, so you have to explain that. Like, what is it about your trauma that you find funny? Well, I think no, I don't. I don't know that it's funny, which I think is funny because I didn't realize one day I was in therapy and I was like telling this qu- quote unquote funny story about how in grade seven I was spit on by a bunch of kids and called fat. And I was like laughing and my therapist was like, but Carling, is that funny? And I was like, yeah, it's funny. And she's like, is it funny? And I was like, is, I don't, is it funny? I don't know. And she was like, I don't think that sounds funny. And then I was like, well, this is depressing. And then she informed me that laughter is like a trauma response and a coping mechanism. And then I was like, well, I guess that's my whole personality then. Yeah. Can we laugh at that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's safe to laugh or not. So. I know. No, always default laugh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Because I wouldn't think that was um, something because when you talk about that, and I've seen some of your, in your videos, I'm like, I don't know if I can like that. You know, I'm kind of torn, you know, kind of like, I want to support you in your show and share it all. Ah, she's laughing. Okay. I know, you know. But if you're laughing, I think, I think it's relatable. I think more people need to embrace. I mean, I like I go to therapy. I do cry. You know, I'm not just some just to get the balance. Yeah, it's about balance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I got to find humor in it or else I don't know where I'm going to be. Yeah, no, it's so true. But interesting. Hey, so she keeps questioning. Are you sure? Yeah. And I was like, it was one of those awkward, like taper off laughs. And I was like, well, now I'm not sure if it's funny. But I've always told the story with this humor around it. Interesting. Well, let's get to your story. We'll put the laughter on hold for a moment. I should add a laugh track in here. Okay, that's yeah. going to be done. I'll add a laugh track. You're you're like the only guest that gets like a sound effect. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So here we go. We're going to start. And go. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess my story, I mean, I have a whole bag of traumatic stories, but I think one thing that is a recurring theme that I'm really interested in like diving into and talking about that I think more people need to hear is this like recurring theme of the power of language and representation. And we touched Mm. a bit about it on the very end when I interviewed you, but it's this idea that I 
I ponder and wonder where my life would have ended up had I had access to representation and seeing myself in media, in families, in people I know. And, you, you know, if language, if I had language to use to express how I felt. And, you know, I I kind of weave throughout this life of mine, you know, these little stories that are funny or not, depending if you ask my therapist. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but it ironically, <laughs> it does ironically start in grade seven. Um, I came out as a lesbian, and you know that was kind of like a big deal for me because I was bullied. I never quite fit in. I always felt a little bit on the outside, and it wasn't until I got my first job at. Perkins Family Restaurant and Bakery as a host, um, that I met my, what would become my first girlfriend. And I had never felt that, uh, like that crazy, I mean, I was 14, but like that level of like attraction and energy and, you know, you just kind of fall head over heels. And I didn't even know what that meant. And it wasn't until that experience that I was like, oh, this is a lesbian. Like before that, the only time I had really heard of, seen, you know, this idea of a queer people was like on Jerry Springer. I'm thinking, mm. you know, 1996, 97. Jerry and Springer. Jerry, Jerry. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Yeah, terrible. And, <laughs> you know, the only, you know, queer people that I saw were these horribly um, performative stories of, you know, love triangles and... <sighs> you know, people cross-dressing, you know, I say it in quotes and and all this stuff. And it was such a mockery. And it oh, was yeah. so, and I would watch it, you know, I would hear my dad commenting on it and, you know, talking about how disgusting it was. And so I knew that that wasn't me. I didn't see myself in that. And so therefore I am not that. And you know, it wasn't until I was a little bit older that like the Ellen DeGeneres showed up on in media and that was kind of shunned and, you know, pushed to the side that didn't go well for her at the time. And mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, well, I don't want that. That's not me. And so, you know, I, I came out, I told I remember telling my stepmom, I'm a lesbian. And I said, don't tell my dad. And oh she said, okay, but then she went and told my dad, who then yeah. went and told my mom, you know. Oh, as, my God. As was, I don't know, society in 1997-8 or whatever. And, you know, it wasn't addressed. My family does this really cute thing where we just don't talk about things. And we just don't address it. And then, therefore, it does not exist. And so I think there was a very brief conversation about you're too young. You don't know what you're talking about. You know. Mm -hmm. to, it's we'll, a phase. We'll just, You'll get yeah, over it. We'll just shove it under the rug and not talk about it further. And yeah. so you know, weaving through my life. I'm the youngest of two kids. And for some reason, and I will probably never know now because my dad has passed away, but I was always the least favorite child. And oh. yeah, and you know, and I, there are 
you know, family members would admit seeing these behaviors that I was always pushed to the side, told to be quiet, you know, not given as much attention. And what that created was this was this need. I mean, every human has this need to belong and feel accepted and, you know, feel, you know, celebrated and all of these things. And I just never got that as a kid. Mm. And so, you know, then at 14, I'm trying to figure out who I am. I come out as a lesbian and I'm, you know, met with shame. And, you know, I, I, I joke that I was put back in the closet and then ironically got sent to a Catholic high school. Oh, my you know, God. I do think there was some irony in it. I went to it for a lot of other reasons, um, like the drama program, for one. And so, you know, now I'm in high school. I'm trying even more to fit in. And, you know, I'm coming from junior high where I was bullied relentlessly. And my only goal, you know, as a 15-year-old is to just, like, fit in and find friends. And... So, you know, then insert the next however many years of Catholic indoctrination and, you know, what is marriage and, you know, all of this stuff. So, um, yeah, I just it's like at some point through that experience, I decided that the only way to fit in and get acceptance from my family, from society, from friends was to, you know, start checking the boxes of what what was, you know, being told to me was going to make me, quote unquote, successful. Mm. And so, you know, I didn't tell anybody, you know, at this new high school that I had been in a relationship with a girl and um, I dated boys. And, you know, then after high school, all my friends started getting married. And um, I remember just seeing all of this love and acceptance and praise being thrown their way because they were, you know, you know, I call it the straight agenda because they were mm. checking the boxes and that comes with so much celebration. And I wanted that. I tried so hard to get, you know, my dad's approval, my mom's approval. You know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, all these things. And I was always just felt like I was just on the outside. I didn't quite belong. And you know, so then I think one summer I was a bridesmaid four times or something ridiculous. And Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I mean, I guess I better get married because I'm tired of being, you know, the only one without a date and all this stuff. So I went, uh, my friend encouraged me to do online dating, but back then it was plenty of fish, which is like, oh, barf. <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10 do not recommend. Are they even still around? Oh, yeah. They have an app now and everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it's called POF now. The oh, cool kid, okay. That's what the kids are saying. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I, you know, met what, who would become my future husband. And, you know, right from, it's always easier to di dissect things after the fact and, you know, from a high up lens. But I can see so clearly that I was ripe for the picking to be in an incredibly abusive relationship. You know, I was, you know, had low self-esteem, didn't quite know who I was, desperately wanted to feel connection and acceptance and, you know, was willing to overlook a lot of things in order to get that. And mm -hmm. the second, you know, I said, oh, I met somebody and he seems really great. 
my family, my community, my world, my friends were like, this is amazing. This is so great. You know, suddenly I'm invited to, you know, double dates because I have a date to bring and I'm invited to, you know, couples things and my family wants to meet them. So now I'm being invited to these family dinners and, you know, all of these things. And so that made it really easy to overlook red flags. There were none as far as I could see. And in hindsight, there were many. This this you, guy was basically wearing red. Do you want to talk about what those red flags were? Oh, yeah. I think it's so yeah. important because so, you know, I right away he had a tragic story of his childhood, which made me uh, feel sorry for him. It excused uh, maybe some questionable behavior about honesty and um loyalty and it it he told me just enough that if anybody kind of brought up any trouble that he had been in i would have said oh yeah like he's told me about it and um you know and and i always say like if he had you know punched me on the first date i probably wouldn't have had a second date but what happens is it's a really slow dance and he's this like yeah. perfect guy who thinks i'm so amazing and can't believe you know, and and we have all these things in common and he thinks I'm beautiful and, you know, we suddenly have all the same dreams and goals and, you know, you're just kind of wrapped up in this whirlwind and, you know, the, and then the first time that, I don't know, what's a good example? The first time that he, I found out he was messaging another girl, you know, I was upset and he made it up to me by, you know, some big act of whatever. And then, you know, buying me gifts or something, and then quickly moved the relationship ahead really fast and was like, why don't we move in together? You know, and so, you know, within a couple months, we're now living together, you know, and then the next thing happens, and maybe it's a bit worse, maybe, you know, I have some money go missing, and he's looking at porn on my computer. And now, like, those things seem silly to break up over because we live together, like we're in this committed situation, cohabitating situation. So it's a little bit easier to overlook that. And then, you know, then we bought a house, then we got a dog, then we, and as we, Mm. as the relationship progressed forward, bigger things started happening, but I was so trapped that I didn't feel like I could end it. And, you know, at the same time, parallel what's happening is, you know, my dad loves this guy. My mom thinks he's the greatest. My sister's husband and him to build projects together. And, you know, like he's so ingrained in my, the fabric of my life that, you know, I didn't know how to get out of it. And Mm. I remember when he proposed, I knew that I didn't want to get married to him for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of which is I am a lesbian, <laughs> but you know, like a lot, there <laughs> was a, a big lot. One. Yeah, a big one, but there was a lot of reasons. And I think he knew that. And so he proposed on a stage in front of 2,500 people at a huge public event. And oh, all no. of my friends and family were there. And so, A, I'm not going to say no because I'm in front of all these people and don't want to be awkward. And so I say yes. And then this thing happens when people get engaged. And I, I've i yet to meet somebody that's like, no, I don't think that's true. 
it's like the ring goes on your finger and the the couple gets put on this train and it is propelled at lightning speed towards the altar as the ultimate you know, win or something. It's like you're on a game show and suddenly you're being like congratulated and celebrated and people are literally giving you money and gifts and planning events. And, you know, you're, and so who am I at that point to be like, I don't know if I want this because I'm suddenly Mm. getting all the like love and acceptance and inclusion and celebration that I had so desperately wanted through my whole childhood that I wasn't getting. And now I was. And because I was checking that box, like met a boy, check, bought a house, check, got engaged, check. And nobody ever stopped to say, how do you feel about this? Is this what you want? Are you happy about this? And, you know, would that, would I have lied and said, oh yeah, like I'm so happy? Maybe. But maybe just somebody stopping and questioning this would have changed i don't know i don't know what would have changed but at at that time though like with um you know because your family's been a little bit oh you're queer no don't be right oh you're straight okay we're coming forward um like did you have any friends or companions at that time that you could just totally express your truth to and then sorry excuse me that they would say like um hey carlene we're just kind of noticing you know something did you have anyone like that no, I had one friend mm. that, you know, didn't. So, I mean, as with the cycle of abuse and narcissists, ev- anybody that loved him was, was you know, brought around, accepted. We were super close friends with them. Anybody that questioned or wasn't sure or mm. was a little bit, you know, off was immediately taken out. Uh, you know, saying things like, well, I overheard them saying this, or I don't like the way that they do this, or, you know, and so, you know, so by design with that type of relationship, I didn't have anybody. And I did have one friend when, so the other thing is like, I never saw my parents fight. I never saw conflict resolution. I was never taught about healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, consent. And so, I was modeling the same type of relationships that I saw, which were, you don't talk about it, you don't bring it up. If something's wrong, you know, just deal with it. And so I didn't have the language to say, you know, I'm being abused and this isn't right. I don't feel good about this. Uh, You know, this thing happened and I don't like it. And So I, so yeah, so I, uh, like, I just grew up in a way where you don't talk about it. And none of my friends were complaining about their partners. You know, it was almost like we were, we were at, we were in a race to, you know, um, what's that, what's that, uh, keeping up with the Jones, you know, you're just trying to. You know, it sounds it sounds a lot like Pleasantville. Yeah, I've seen that movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you don't talk about those things, and so. You know, I just I didn't know how to say it. And I still struggle today. You know, if I if I have an argument with somebody, expressing it to somebody or talking it through with somebody, because if things get resolved, I don't want them to have this, you know, bad taste in their mouth for somebody that I'm close with. And mm-hmm. so it's not a skill that I had. And, 
you know, the relationship went on and, you know, I have to laugh because our, our blessed wedding day was just, I, you know, I'm agnostic at best. And the universe was like, listen, girl, you cannot go through with this, but I am also very hardheaded and will, you know, ignore all signs to do what I think I should do. And so we like woke up late. Um, we got lost going to the church. We, and then as, as I walked through the doors to the, like where you get married, my parents were on either side of me and the arch fell on me. <gasps> like the universe. Okay, if was those aren't red flags. <laughs> yeah. The universe was literally like, okay, we're going to have to physically stop her. And yeah. I stepped over it and carried on and, you know, did the thing and got married and, it just like it's so I didn't think there was another option. I didn't and it wasn't like I like I didn't think gay people were bad. I didn't think all this stuff. I just went with the path of least resistance and the past mm -hmm. of path of most acceptance, which was getting married to a man and ignoring everything that my everything was telling me. And so, you know, nine months after getting married, I mean, it was a nightmare. It was awful. And oh. it was it it wasn't until he was physically mean to one of my dogs. And in oh. that moment, it was June 19th, whatever year it was, I just remember. And I was like, I'm done like this. You know, I can put up with a lot, but like you do not hurt an animal. And, you know, that was kind of the start of of finding myself again, despite, you know, disappointing everybody. And, you know, at one point my dad said, you know, like, are you sure? Is there anything that he could do to like make it up to you? And, you know, I'm sure I hadn't disclosed a ton of the abuse, but like, you know, by this point there was a lot of stalking harassment. I didn't, I oh. hadn't been told that he had an extensive criminal history that is like apparently not a requirement to get married, like disclosing. Oh, what? yeah. And so, you know, I mean, what would then happen would be 10 years of stalking, harassing, criminal harassment, um, attempt to obstruct justice. There, you know, I like I moved six times. I changed my number four times. I changed my email seven times. Um, yeah, like Jeez. I he bro yeah he broke every restraining order, and you know, I, you know that's that was what happened. Oh my so yeah. Well, so how long? So what was this time frame from when you met him to like marriage or divorce or like how long was this time frame? Yeah, we met and we moved in together within about, I think, three months. We got, we bought a house within a year and a half. And then we probably got engaged by two years, married by three, and then divorced nine months later. Or not even divorced. It took me 10 years to get a divorce, but separated. Oh my God. Yeah, because T he- 10 years? Yeah, because I wouldn't drop criminal charges. Good and girl. so, yeah, I just, so I was having, you know, he wouldn't cooperate in the divorce unless I dropped criminal charges and I wasn't willing to do that. So, yeah. Wow. So what, yeah. then what happened? Like, how did it finally, how did it finally end? Did he accept the charges or what? Uh, no, well, no, he, it ended up, I mean, the legal system, as we talked about, like in your episode, is truly designed to keep people out of the system and 
you know, I see and appreciate the notion of innocent until proven guilty, but proving guilt beyond reasonable doubt is single-handedly one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, I had found out that he had a criminal history dating back to a preteen. And so by the time I was involved, he had more experience getting away with crime than the police charging him had oh been God. in service. Yeah. And so, you know, I think he ended up with, say, I think 15 charges and that got whittled down to about five that were prosecuted. And of those five, three got found guilty beyond reasonable doubt. And that's not to say that he was presumed guilty, but you can't convict and charge or um, and sentence somebody unless there's beyond reasonable doubt. And so, you know, and then by then he hired the most expensive criminal defense attorney and he had a girlfriend who was pregnant with his child that was coming to all of these trials. And, you know, even what I'm sorry, he he had he had another girlfriend that Mm -hmm. was pregnant. Yeah. And brought. Yeah. Yeah. And she sat there and listened to my testimony, cross-examination, witness statements, everything, all the evidence. And, um, you know, I think one thing that a lot of people don't know about is that, you know, you hear all these things where you get to read like a victim impact statement. And at least in Canada, everything is charged separately. So, There were three charges, which means there were three judges, which means there were three trials. And you cannot discuss the other ones until there's like an actual conviction. Like they're they're presumed innocent until found guilty of that one charge. And so when it came time to read my victim impact statement, um, his team, defense team, got to approve it or deny it before I got to read it in court. And so I had to submit my victim impact statement. They had a whole bunch of uh, issues with it because I referred to other crimes. But like, so I could only discuss the impact of, you know, the one time he vandalized my vehicle. I don't Mm -hmm. understand. How did they have the right Mm -hmm. to approve your victim statement? Mm -hmm. This is your statement. This is your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not great. And so, yeah, and I found out. So I had found out um, after I left him and learned about this criminal background that he had been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and which is like a sociopath, basically, and um, with a moderate to high risk of reoffending. Oh, my God. And then enter me and reoffending. And then part of his sentencing for these crimes was another psychological evaluation where he was independently diagnosed as antisocial personality disorder with a moderate to high risk of reoffending. And, you know, he only ended up getting 90 days of a conditional sentence. And a conditional sentence is you check in on a Friday after work and then you go home Sunday afternoon. And that counts as three days. And otherwise you can, because he had a kid now, the judge was like, well, he needs to be able to provide for his family and he has a good job. And so, 
Yeah. This is making me so angry. I know. Oh, yeah. This is, this is why I'm laughing. <laughs> you know, and so. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, that. Yeah, that was that. I mean, that's a whole five part series over on my Patreon in itself where, you know, we read the emails and the, you know, all of this stuff. But, you know, I like that experience just. I I can't help but look back on it and I don't blame anybody but I wonder if as a youth I had been if I had seen representation of how I identified in media and others and you know had language around you know my family wasn't religious it wasn't like you know um you know you hear people that are scared to come out because of religion and what their families will say it was just a lack of of you know vocabulary and representation and, and there was and support like there was just no it wasn't none yeah it just didn't exist and so I was just kind of trying to fit along and fit in and you know do what would get me the acceptance that I so desperately wanted and you know I yeah so I mean I just I'm sad for for my childhood self because. Yeah. You know, if I had just been given a bit more acceptance and a bit more attention and a right. bit more understanding or, you know, anything, you know, wh what would have happened if I had come out and stayed out at 14? Yeah. You know, I mean, who's to say who I would have ended up with? But so then, you know, in coming out again, so in, you know, while all this is going on with the courts, um, simultaneously, I am rediscovering that, you know, I went on a dating site and, you know, you see the question, are you interested in men or women? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And, mm -hmm. you know, I started, um, I actually got a personal trainer and um, she was a lesbian. We ended up sleeping together. It was a nightmare, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's cardio. It's cardio. Yeah, it was cardio. It was just extra cross training. And, yeah. um, you know, I think it really was that, that, you know, relationship with her that was like, oh yeah, I am for sure a lesbian. I'm now in my twenties. And, um, and so then I had to come out again, but I had all this shame around the first time it had happened and this disappointment I felt. Um, and, you know, my dad was like, well, you know, it's okay, but as long as you promise me that if the right man comes along, you'll consider it. And I was oh like, and so by this point, you know, my family knows everything that happened with this husband of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so, I'm curious to know what their reaction was with all of this. Yeah. You know, it was just very like, ah, oh, that's a shame, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think they really... Because we don't talk about things, right? We just, right. Yep. you know, I mean, my dad came to court and was very, you know, at this bravado of, you know, we're going to get this guy. But it was more coming from a sense of like he wanted to be part of the, you know, the heroics and not necessarily acknowledging the, the trauma that was there. Right. And so, you know, my dad said, you know, it's OK that I'm a, that I'm dating women as long as. You know, I, I'm open-minded enough to know that if the right guy comes along, I will consider it. So, I mean, I'm still waiting, but. Um, so. <laughs> I don't think you're waiting. <laughs> I think that train has yeah. long gone. There's not even tracks no, anymore. No, it's just, yeah. It doesn't yeah. exist. It's yeah. completely overgrown with yeah. weeds and stuff. And <laughs> then, you know, my mom kind of reacted in a way that 
she kind of got defensive or um, it was almost like, you know, and I don't fault my parents for how they reacted. I think they're a product of how they were raised yeah. and, you know, where they came from. And yeah. um, I never thought that they didn't love me. It was just they did the best they could with what they had. And my mom said, you know, I mean, that's okay, but, you know, you have to be okay with me dating younger guys. And like your mom said that. Yeah. Like, to be clear, there was never an issue with her dating younger. Like I, you know, my parents had been divorced yeah. and my mom was dating and yeah. it, it was like she just had to. She didn't know how to just accept it. She had to come to the table with like a trade off or something. I don't know. It was like it was a really weird thing. <laughs> it was so bizarre. And I was I'll like, trade yeah. you these young men and yeah. you give me these women. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, and then my sister was uh, married to a very Catholic family and mm. into a very Catholic family. And, you know, she said, you know, something about love, love the sinner, hate the sin. I'll pray for you, you know, some something. And so, you know, I I, I, had I, to... I can't always agree with that. I just, I just, oh, can't. no, it's bullshit. Good, like, I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. I had one of those like little TikTok things, you know, when they put the scroll thing over your head and it's yeah. like, you know, love or, love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm like, why the fuck would I love him <laughs> yes. and them yeah. and that one for doing what they did? Like, really? No. Yeah. Sorry. Like, no. How, how about loving me? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Please no, continue. no, I know. Like we are on the same page. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so, and I just, I, you know, I looked around and, you know, I wanted to live as a lesbian and I had no idea like where to find community because all my friends were straight and married with kids. And, you know, I didn't know what life was going to look like. I was in survival mode for so long. And so I had to really like seek out community and I didn't even know like how. And so yeah. I, found, I can't remember how I can, maybe one of my friends told me there's like a website called meetup.com and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can literally type in anything and there's a group of people for you. And I typed in lesbian and <laughs> Calgary and I found the <laughs> Calgary lesbian meetup group. And, <laughs> you know, I went to my first, you know, I picked a, there was like a coffee meet and greet thing. And I was like, well, that seems pretty safe. I like coffee and it's in the middle of, you know, the afternoon. And so I went and, you know, that was kind of the start of suddenly seeing myself and in this group of people mm. and like, what a powerful, uh, yeah, I can't even, you know, I think we nice. take, I think, I think straight white people take for granted <laughs> seeing themselves in everything. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, they're, yeah, you know, they're in literally everything. And I think it just, yeah, I give a lot of thought to how powerful, you know, I made a conscious decision in my relationships as a lesbian to like be the representation for my nieces and nephews, for the kids in my life, for, you know, when we're out in public and we're holding hands, I do that um, intentionally because I know mm -hmm. that there is a human out there that has not seen that before and might see themselves in that. And that yeah. might be the thing that's like, oh, I didn't know that that was an option and that I see myself in that. Mm -hmm. 
And so does your family, well, sister, like she, like, is she comfortable with that? You know, yeah, you, uh, uh, being so open and out? And- yeah, she, I mean, she's since divorced because as with a lot of Catholic marriages, her husband cheated on her. Mm. And, um, you know, after four kids and a lot of drama, you know, they finally broke up. And I think she's a lot more accepting now. I think she was sort of victim to, um, like, going along with him and his family's beliefs. And, you know, mm. like, me and my partner weren't allowed to sleep at their house. They lived right by the airport, and we were going to go to Mexico one year, so it made sense if we could all just leave from their house, and we weren't allowed to sleep at their house. That's pretty extreme, yeah. And I was like, okay. you know, we're not going to have gay sex, like, on the living room floor at dinner time, right? Like, I don't yeah. – like – you, you just, don't get the queer from hugging, you know, <laughs> like it just, or, or like talking or engaging. But yeah. you know what I always find interesting too, is that there's a lot of women who, you know, are married or were married that end up coming out into mm-hmm. the queer community. Yeah. You know? So I hear that. I've heard that so much about this unhealthy marriage to a man and for whatever reason, I'm not saying that all women, I'm not saying that all marriages are bad, but it just, it was like, okay, there, oh, there's another one. And you start having this little Costco counter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, there's more. Oh, there's more. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Hey, you because know? I like, I just, you know, I think if we, I have to find it, but there was a study done. I actually have to find it so I can reference the the real study. Um, but there was a study done about the impact and the effect of assigning what happens as a society once you are assigned a gender at birth. And, mm. you know, even from in utero, you're like, okay, it's a girl. Well, right away, you know, this study showed the way that a woman is treated is different. The way she carries is different. You know, the way people prepare for the baby is different. And then this little baby comes out and they assign it female at birth. And suddenly it's in pink. It's more often um, held facing the body. Um, Babies and infants that are assigned female at birth or presumed female are more often held facing inward and close to the body, whereas boys or babies that are assumed to be boys or assigned male at birth are often held facing out to see the world and further from the body. And so, like, it's just like it goes so far back and like they did the study where they just dressed, you know, if it was a female baby and they dressed it like a boy that baby was more likely to be held facing out and a little bit further from the body. And, you know, suddenly it's like, okay, she's got a vulva. Therefore, you know, success for her will be being quiet, being, you know, Mm. you know, appeasing. And those those stigmas, right? Those stigmas and, and just though these old, old, old ancient ideas Mm-hmm. and and judgments that are placed on on children you yeah. know and certainly on female or female identified or or gendered yeah. you know it sets them back right away like you're talking like even in the embryo stage or yeah. in the like the fetus stage it's like they're already being set up yeah. to be passed over to be submissive to be abused to you know all these to be sexualized things. 
you know, sexual, like little like toddler shorts that are quote unquote for girls are lower riding, shorter in the leg and often have no pockets, which is bullshit. And every pair of bottoms should have pockets. But that's a whole. Oh, yeah. That's another (laughs) podcast. That's a totally different podcast. Yeah. And if you get the same size in shorts that are, you know, quote unquote for boys, they're longer in the leg, higher waisted and have more pockets. Yep. And yeah. I just like, you know, I get you, you go as extreme or as basic as you want, but yeah. it was set up for me very early on that success for me would be, and that's through society, that's through professional friendship. Yeah. You know, it, success for me was going to be this. And so I finally, after, you know, it took me longer than most to figure out that to be successful in my family and society, this is what I would have to do. You know, and I picked the worst one and, you know, that's, you know, that's that. But because you didn't get the lesson earlier, you didn't yeah. get the red flags earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, I mean, I think it it really has shaped how I use language. And, you know, when I have two step kids now. So that was the other thing. I didn't nice. know that I didn't have to have kids. Oh, I just assumed oh. that. I would get married and have kids because that's one of the check boxes. Right. And I never heard the, I never heard the, uh, like, what's the, like, I never heard people talking about choosing. Right. You have the right to choose. Did you yeah, know that? Yeah, I did not know. Mm. And now you know. Yeah, I very easily could have ended up having kids. And then where would I have been with this guy? Oh, my God. You know, where, and so, where his next partner is. Yeah, like he's got She'll a kid. She'll get a wake up and, call. Well, they're since separated. Shocking. Um, <laughs> but what powerful, what a powerful thing to just very slightly shift the language. And, you know, so I have two stepkids because the person I fell in love with has kids. And. Instead of saying when you get married, I just say if you choose to get married, if you get married, because mm-hmm. you know what? You don't have to. You don't have to get married. And who you marry if you choose to, you know, yep. I say, you know, when when you decide to start dating, if you decide to start dating and if you choose to have kids, it's just changing that one from when to if. And yep. I like I think the freedom that opens up that whether, you know, my stepdaughter decides to date period or date a boy or a girl or both or and whether or not she chooses to get married and have kids you know that doesn't equal happiness or success yeah no absolutely not i want you to be I, a contributing member of society i want you to be kind i want you to you know treat others you know help people yeah. other than that like do what you want you don't have to own a yeah. house you don't have to drive you don't have to you know all you these don't have things to conform Yes, conform. Right? Like, yeah. you, you and my partner should have a conversation because she was raised as a witness, you know. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's met some challenges. So we'll have to get together yes. one time and then have this uh, extended conversation. Yeah. Because that is, that is something. But, you know, as we're going to kind of wrap up uh, the show here, I wanted to just touch briefly on, like, what are your healing techniques and tools that you have learned? Because as you became aware, what was happening? Like, you've talked about therapy, mm-hmm. you know, but how has that healing journey been for you? Yeah, I think really my, the biggest thing is just questioning everything. Mm. I literally just you know, I started to embrace this curiosity about 
why and you know, why though is like my tagline in life. Why do we have to get married? Why do we have to, you know, do these things that why does that equal success and happiness? I don't understand Mm -hmm. that. And really embracing that inquisitive side has been really healing because it's made me open my eyes to a whole other life Mm -hmm. and find like-minded people and you know, if you're straight, white, cis, and you want to get married and have kids, that's so beautiful. I love this for you. But mm-hmm. we shouldn't just assume. And, you know, I, I recognize there's a privilege in having access to therapy. And I think, you know, finding mental health support or community support is key. You know, mm-hmm. finding that group of lesbians, the Calgary Lesbian Meetup group, was huge in yeah. experiencing a sense of community that I had never thought I could belong to. And yeah, yeah, I just, instead of, I was like going against, it felt like I was going against the grain trying to fit into this society that was not built for me. And just like starting to ask why and seeking out connection that felt authentic was huge. Right. Absolutely. like antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I got a couple. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Or whatever kind of medication you yeah. choose to prefer. So yeah. it, just a, one final thought. What would you like to share as a final thought to our listeners? Yeah, I think take five minutes and evaluate everything through a lens of why. Why do we use the language that we use, you know, and it's not, you know, you're not going to make somebody queer by asking, it's just a very funny story. My sister told me the other day that her daughter, who is 14, had her first kiss, and I knew it was with a boy because I know that their family structure, but just to be funny, I was like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And the look on her (laughs) face... She was like, well, obviously a boy. And I was like, why obviously? Yeah, I was just going to say, why obvious? Yeah, and she was like, oh, no, you're right. And to her credit, she caught herself and was like, oh, no, I mean, you're right. Like, it's totally fine. It just, yeah, like, I know that it it was a boy because, like, and she's rambling and back talking and, you know. Justifying and Yeah, and it was just like, I didn't want to assume that it was a boy because maybe it wasn't. And right. Yeah. So just like, just evaluate the words that you use and how you use them and how you were talked to and how that's led to, you know, some, some of the ways that your life ended up. Yeah, absolutely. That is such great and sage advice. You know, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. It feels like there's so much more oh, that, God, there's too much. That, that you could, Oh, perfect. Good. Cause that could always create another episode yes. later on down the road. Let's keep sharing. Let's keep talking. So Absolutely. thank you, Carling. That's it. Just one name. Just Carling. That's it. Just her. Just her. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing everything. You are such a delight. Oh, and I look forward you. to having you come back again at some point and we can continue this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We'll just pair off being on each other's podcasts over and Totally, over. right? Back yeah. and forth. Maybe, like I said, we'll just meet up for coffee. That might make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, friends, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
If you require more support and information on depression, please contact your local health care provider, distress center, or in Canada, go to canada.ca and search mental health support, get help.